Hello and welcome to According to John. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. I have a book in my hand and it is called The Days of Noah. Now the interesting thing about this book is it was put out by Martin Dahan and Dahan was a physician. He started out as a physician and then uh, as he went through life he ended up becoming saved and then started living for the Lord and he went to Bible college and he became a pastor and then after uh, becoming a pastor, and I think it was 1939, he decided to start doing a radio broadcasting program. And so every week for 30 minutes, he had his own radio show. As a matter of fact, it went until he passed away in 66, 1966. And when he had passed away, he was in over 600 countries, which I find absolutely amazing. Well, when he writes this book, he writes this book in 1963. In 1963, he sits down and pens the days of Noah. The book is actually his broadcast. So it's, it's not really a book. Each chapter is a chapter of one of his weekly uh, broadcasts. So I thought, hey, you know what? The days of Noah, I feel like we're in the days of Noah. When you look at uh, what's happening today and you compare it to Matthew chapter 24, and in Matthew chapter 24, 36 to the end, it talks about uh, the end times would be as in the days of Noah. And everything just points to that direction. And so I thought, hey, you know what? Let's do a podcast of Dahan's broadcast. And here's what we came up with. Chapter one, which by the way, let me let me say this. As, as we go through this, you're going to hear some chapters, and you would think he wrote this book yesterday. It is absolutely amazing how close we are to what he has written. And he wrote this book 67 years ago. Amazing, amazing stuff. So chapter one, the promises of his coming. And I'm just going to read through this. None of this is my words. All of it will be from the days of Noah from Dahan in his book, The Days of Noah. The promises of his coming. The most certain future event is the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. The same Jesus who came as a babe born in Bethlehem over 1900 years ago is coming back personally, literally, and visibly. This is the unbroken testimony of the Bible and the unmistakable word of Jesus himself. He said just before his departure in John 14:3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. This too was the unmistakable meaning of the first message Jesus sent back from heaven when he ascended. Before the eyes of his disciple, Jesus ascended, and immediately he reassures them of his return. I read in Acts 1.9, And when he, Jesus, had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Jesus ascended before their eyes, plainly visible, in the same body in which he had arisen. This is the literal account of our Lord's going to heaven. We must therefore take the following verses just as literally. In Acts 1.10, the writer continues, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. If there were not another verse in the entire Bible dealing with Christ's return, this one standing all by itself would be sufficient to establish the fact of our Lord's return. The words are unmistakable. This same Jesus, the same one whom they had just seen ascend into heaven, will return in the same manner. This same Jesus will come again in the same body, through the same atmosphere, to the same Mount Olivet. Personally, visibly, and literally, just the same as he went away. Yes, Jesus Christ is coming back again. It is the blessed hope of the church, the redeeming hope of Israel, the only hope for a tottering world. After Jesus had announced his going away and the hearts of the disciples were saddened, our Lord was quick to assure them that his absence was not permanent and that he was coming back again. And so he immediately seeks to comfort them with this assurance. He did not tell them to look for a converted world, nor for the things to get better and better, nor that a great revival would usher in the world peace. But he told them that things would grow worse and worse. But they were not to be discouraged, but to keep looking for, expecting, and watching for his return. It was the words of John 14.1 that Jesus reassures them, Let not your heart be troubled. In John 13.21, he had announced his betrayal, his departure in John 13.33, and then the following words, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Yes, Jesus Christ is coming again. The scriptures are full of it from cover to cover, and yet it is the most overlooked and neglected truth in the Bible. The two most urgent messages today are, number one, Jesus Christ came 1,900 years ago, lived and died, and rose from the grave to save men and women from hell. And number two, Jesus Christ is coming back again to redeem creation, glorify the church, bless the nations, and return his people, Israel, to their covenant land. Without his second coming, the first is incomplete. The Bible has far more to say about Christ's second coming than about his first. We do not infer that the first coming of Jesus was not as important as his second. They are equally important. One without the other is incomplete. If we reject the hundreds of prophecies about his glorious reign, then how can we believe the record of his first coming? They are both in the same Bible. The Bible contains more than three times as much about Christ's second coming to reign as about his first coming to die. There is far more in the scriptures about Christ's future kingdom than about the church. The prophecies in the Old Testament deal far more with Christ's glorious reign than his suffering and death. Yet thousands of Christians are almost completely ignorant of this fact. It is a strange thing that when Jesus came the first time, everyone expected him to set up the kingdom. But they had overlooked the prophecies concerning his rejection and the cross. They were so allured by the hope of the Messiah's glorious reign that they overlooked the predictions concerning his rejection first and his return to heaven. Today, the situation is completely reversed. The church is so occupied with the first coming of Jesus that they overlooked the blessed hope of his second coming. Both are important together, but one without the other has no meaning. The ignominy of Calvary demands the vindication of his return. We would therefore first of all emphasize the fact that the Bible plainly teaches the second coming of Christ. Until we have this fact settled, it will do no good to study the days of Noah and the signs of the times. 
Beginning with the first book of the Bible, we can trace an unbroken chain of scriptures dealing with the hope of Christ's coming. It is implied in the very first promise to man after the fall, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. These words were spoken to the devil concerning two different conflicts between the seed of the woman, Christ, and the seed of the serpent, the Antichrist. The seed of the woman's heel will first be crushed by Satan. This was literally fulfilled on the cross of Calvary. But the prophecy also announces the crushing of the head of the serpent, which is still future and will occur at the second coming of Christ. Mother Eve believed in the coming of Messiah, for she called her firstborn son Cain, which means literally, I have begotten the man, even Jehovah. Enoch believed in the second coming of Christ, for it says in Jude, Enoch also prophesied, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. Jude 14 and 15. Job, who lived before Abraham, believed in the second coming of Christ, for he cries out, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter days upon the earth. Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job 19, 25 and 26. David looked forward and saw the glory of the Messiah's second coming, and in one psalm after another extols the greatness of the king when he comes to reign. In Psalm 24, he cries out, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Psalm 24, 7 and 10. Isaiah saw both the first and second comings of the Lord, for we read, in Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This, we all know, refers to the first coming of Jesus, but then Isaiah says about the same one in Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace shall there be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Time fails us to quote from all the rest of the prophets, Joel, Amos, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and Zechariah. We mentioned the first in Zechariah, which confirms the promise of the two men on Mount Olivet when Jesus ascended. Zechariah says of King Jesus in Zechariah 14, 4, and 9, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. From these and hundreds of similar passages, we see that the theme of the Old Testament prophecies was the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, in power and glory. Then after 4,000 years, he came. However, the people of his day did not understand his first coming to die, but expected only the glory of his second coming to reign. And no wonder... For all the Old Testament prophecies had said far more about his glorious reign at his second coming than his rejection the first time. When he therefore went to the cross, the disciples began to question, what about all the hundreds of Old Testament prophecies concerning his reign? When will these be fulfilled or have we been completely mistaken? It is then that Jesus reveals to them that he is coming back again and all the prophecies of his glorious reign will be fulfilled to the very letter. For this reason, Jesus spent almost all his time the last few days before his death in reassuring his disciples that he would return. 
Read carefully Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 11 to 13, Luke 21, and you will see that the primary thing Jesus talked about was his second coming and the signs of the latter days. It was in answer to the question of the disciples in Matthew 24, 3, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming of the end of the world age? The last words of Jesus before his going away were, I am coming again. And his first promise after he went into heaven was, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner, Acts 1.11. No wonder then that the second coming becomes the theme of all the apostles and the rest of the New Testament. The first two New Testament books ever written were First and Second Thessalonians. Read them and see what the apostle felt was necessary for those new Christians to know. In the New Testament, there are some 320 references to the truth of our Lord's return. Almost every book in the New Testament mentions the blessed hope of Christ's second coming. Paul says in Romans, For the earnest expectation of the creature, creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Romans 8, 19 and 22. In 1 Corinthians, he devotes one whole chapter to the resurrection of saints at Jesus' coming. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul comforts the sorrowing believers with the words from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In Titus, Paul declares, For the grace of God hath appeared, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11-13. John says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Jude exclaims, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment. Jude 14 and 15. James admonishes, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. James 5, 7 and 8. Peter also encourages God's servants with the promise of the second coming and says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away, 1 Peter 5, 4. We might multiply scriptures to show what a prominent place the second coming of Christ occupies in the Bible, both of the Old and New Testaments. To climax at all, the last book of the Bible called the Revelation or Unveiling of Jesus Christ deals with the exception of the first three chapters, exclusively with the events following the Lord Jesus Christ coming in the rapture for his church. From these few passages, among hundreds of others, we must conclude that the Holy Spirit considered the truth of the coming of Christ as most important subject. We have been often asked, Why do you preach so much about the second coming? 
Our answer is simply because the Bible we preach is so full of it. We would like to ask many a preacher, why don't you preach more often on this blessed truth found on almost every page of the blessed book? It is the message for today. We repeat again, it is the closing message of the Bible. The Bible closes with a promise of and a prayer for the coming of the Lord. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus, Revelation twenty-two twenty. In succeeding messages, we shall study the many current signs of his coming and the indications all about us that it must be very near. We have been occupied in this opening message primarily with the fact of his return. We want you to believe, first of all, that the coming of Christ is a fact. You cannot believe anything else in the Bible if you reject the fact of the literal, personal, visible return of Jesus Christ. Don't reveal your ignorance of the scriptures by saying it's not an important doctrine or that it makes no difference what you believe concerning it. Such statements are an accusation against the Holy Spirit, who has given such prominence in the Bible to this cardinal truth. Yes, Jesus Christ is coming again, and whether you believe it or not, you will someday have to face him as your Savior or your judge. He may come at any moment, and so we repeat the warning of the Savior himself in Luke 12:40. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That is chapter 1 of the book of Dehan, the days of Noah. As we go through this, you're going to discover what he writes happening in his time almost 70 years ago, and what he writes about in the days of Noah, you would think he's writing it today. I hope that was a blessing to you. I hope you enjoyed chapter 1 of the first broadcast on the days of Noah. If this helped you, if you like it, please follow, subscribe, share it with someone that you know. And until next week, God bless.